You are listening to the Great Commission Leadership Podcast, a podcast that encourages leaders pursuing the Great Commission. Well, welcome to Great Commission Leadership. I'm your host, Graham Withers, and I wanted to thank you for listening today. Great Commission Leadership is a podcast that brings on amazing ministry leaders, and we look at every single week uh, how they are fulfilling the Great Commission in their unique context. Today's guest is Jason James. He is the lead pastor of New Hope Church in New York City. Jason, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Well, Jason, I'm excited to hear your story. I'm excited to hear about your church and how you're fulfilling the Great Commission in Harlem. Uh, But Jason, just to get us started, just share a little bit about who you are, your story, and how you've gotten into the ministry you're in today. Yeah, sure. Um, So I was born in India. I don't know how far back you want me to go, but I was born in India. All right. Uh, Moved to the U.S. when I was two. So basically the most formative years of my life have been in America and um, moved from place to place. And my my family was nominally Christian, so I knew of Christ. We were involved in church, and I became a Christian in 1999. December of 1999, I came to follow Christ and just completely revolutionized my life. I knew I just wanted to serve him, didn't know how I was going to do it. I had no thoughts of being a pastor or any language for church planting, but I wanted to just devote the rest of my life to him. And I got into some itinerant ministry, traveling and doing some evangelism in 2002. Um, But it's interesting, though, like I still, even though I had a very significant experience in 99, that was transformative. I can't say that I knew what to do with Jesus. I didn't. I don't know if I understood the gospel, mm-hmm. um, how He had loved me, and how He had saved me. That wasn't really the narrative that had gripped my heart when I was in the Scriptures, and it didn't inform my preaching either. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up going to seminary around 2007, and that's when, uh, really, about what I guess eight years, almost eight years after my conversion, but you could say mm-hmm. that I really began to be gripped by the gospel. And um, shortly after that, I moved to India, became a chaplain of a college there um, in India. And that's the first time from experiencing itinerancy before where I actually was discipling people. And, and it was much more relational ministry than I had ever done before. Um, and that's kind of, I'm just trying to give you a path on how I got more and more into mm-hmm. like pastoral ministry. And then from there, moved to Houston, where I was one of two pastors of an Indian church there. That's what gave me the love for a local church. And then around that time, it's around 2011, 2010, where I started to read about church planting. And one of the best ways to reach people is to plant more churches. And moved up to New York. My wife is from New York, so we thought, why not move up to New York? And got connected to a church in 2013 that invited me to come on as an intern. And um, that's how I got to New York and how really seven years later, we finally planted a church. Yeah. So talk a little bit about, um, we we were talking right before we got started, but you guys are affiliated with a few different church planning networks, um, Acts 29 to name one, and then also City to City, which is Tim Keller, like one of the the networks associated with Tim Keller's church. Just talk about um, really like what, what was, what, what was it specifically that God really showed you about church planning, about the, the, the strategic part of that, that has caused you not only to pl- be planting a church, but also have that be part of like your DNA in terms of how you are conducting your church now to see other churches being planted. 
Yeah, yeah, sure. There was a, I can't remember where exactly I read it, but it was this idea that one of the best ways to make a global impact is for local people to love their cities. Mm. And so if we could plant churches, if we can plant communities of people who love Jesus that are committed to their neighborhood and committed to God, be one of the best ways to, to reach the world. I was really gripped by that. And that was really formative for me. But, um, but also just the, the different things that the Lord has taught us about when people are more eager for evangelism, living very intentionally, you know, there's a, I'm not exactly sure the science of it or when it actually happens in the life cycle of a church or in the life of a church, I should say, um, where you no longer have relationships with non-Christians and um, where, you know, like as we, we, we launched our church, our official services on March 1st, and I got to tell you, everyone who was a part of our team had to write down the names of people that didn't know Christ. And we were inviting them to lunches and brunches and sharing the faith. And um, so I, you know, that's one of the things that I think um, is in our DNA right now that I hope will continue with yeah. churches, God willing. Yeah, that's good. So talk about uh, your context a little bit. Because when you when you talk about fostering that heart for reaching people, I mean, New York is one of the most strategic places in the world to do ministry. And so what is it like what are some of the complexity? I mean, we all kind of have a picture of what we think of New York, either from vacations there or just from the media, but but for someone who's living there, interacting with the people, and specifically in a, a part of New York that has its own unique culture as well. What does ministry look like for you? Yeah, that's great, man. There's There are several challenges that are also blessings. Um, one of the challenges in New York is that it's incredibly, I mean, it's pluralistic. Um, you know, people, I mean, you have, Jesus is just one of many ways to find a self, you know, self-fulfillment and actualization. Yeah. Um, and so, but the benefit of that is that people are open to you. Like, basically they're like, Hey, you, I, I don't mind hearing your truth, but mm. it's a, ma- a matter of like convincing them, like actually he is the way, the truth. Yeah, right. um, that's one of the challenges. Uh, I think another thing that's also challenging just in ministry in New York is, um, no one owns, uh, generally no one owns a mortgage. They don't own a building. Mm. And so they're, when you're trying to create a community, where, you know, people could get up and move and they could, um, you, you know, you, you lose about 33% of your church, I think, every single year wow. uh, or the people that are with you. Um, the, there's an incredible opportunity, though, if you're intentional. I mean, the nations are here. Yeah. And so uh, what happens, though, for a lot of people is that they come to New York and they they realize there's an, into- an opportunity to reach the nations, but they're not intentional about that. And they end up just gathering people that are just like them. And that's fine if that's God's unique wiring and gift and call for a person's life. But there is tremendous opportunity if people are going to be intentional about it. I was just going to, I was just going to ask about that. The 33% turnover rate we've had, a, I had a guest on earlier on uh, in the life of the podcast that is in, was in Washington DC. And he said that I can't remember the exact statistic, but it was something like uh, people average like 2.5 years in DC, therefore in his church. So what are, when we think about discipleship and really to shape in your, the structure of your church, what are some ways that you guys have been intentional to, to keep that turnover rate in mind? That's good, man. Um, we want, we, we want to cast vision for people to love the city and not just consume the city. People move here to put it on their resume. Uh, people put it on their, just move here just so they could say they've been here. They've been able to grind it out in New York but we really want to give them a vision for 
loving New York City. And when they leave, we, which they most likely will, we want it to be framed and we want to disciple them to think in terms of kingdom. Like we're not just leaving simply because it's more comfortable or we yeah. can make more money elsewhere, um, but have a vision for this is the best decision with kingdom implications. Um, we also think about, I mean, I, I think it was James K. Smith's book, uh, You Are What You Love, that mm. really helped me see how we are constantly being discipled. Like our city is yeah. discipling our people. Uh, they're giving them a vision of the good life, of what is beautiful and what is just and what is lovely. And um, what we do is disruptive. So we ask our people, as it relates to discipleship, we ask people to commit to disruptive environments. So our Sunday gathering would have been, when we were meeting, a disruptive sure. environment. Our groups would be a disruptive environment where we disrupt the, the lies of the enemy, the narrative of this world, and reorient people to Jesus, the King, and the things of God. Um, and so we try to take that mindset and we try to get people to understand that when they are committing to something, they're committing to something like that is going to reorient them and calibrate their hearts to God again. Um, yeah. And when they're not, they are being discipled. So. I think what you just said with the statement that we're always being discipled by, that's I've heard that before. I, I don't know if that was, uh, if I, I, I don't know if I heard that from, uh, James K. Smith, like you did, but I've heard that before, and it's been so profound for me to think about that. Like mm -hmm. the when when we are when we're discipling people in our churches, like it's not that like for me, I was somewhat new to discipleship when I got to college and got involved in a parachurch campus ministry and in a church that I'm now serving at that is just really passionate about discipleship, but. The reality is that I've been discipled my entire life, that people, whether they realize it or not, are always being discipled by something. So I love I love that uh, the mindset of let's disciple them in the ways that we see absolute truth yeah. and how that truth can transform the heart and the life. Yeah, um, exactly. So I, that's great. That's good stuff. So when you think about... Um, reaching the city what are some ways that you guys are folk what are, you, what are you focusing on uh how are you training your people to think outwardly and to have those conversations what does that culture look like for you guys yeah we want to we, we definitely pray for the city we want to reach the city but we are also very realistic that we we, we are just one part of like many sure. things god is doing in the city so that's helpful where we're able to look at the people who who's right in front of us who's god calling us to love directly in front of us um so it takes two two forms for us as a church there is there's an actual geographical location that we focus upon which is the sugar hill hamilton heights area of harlem that's okay. a geographical location where we can actually collaborate uh collect our resources and our time and 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 invest in a community. We really believe a geographical area should feel the impact of a church, church's presence. Um, but having said that, I think part of discipleship in evangelism is teaching the people of your community to develop an eye for what God is doing in the relationships that they have. So we ask everybody in our church to fill out what's what we call a five for five card. Um, I got this idea from um, a pastor, um, Matt Sparks, that's right, in Anchor Church in Sydney. So basically, we have them write down the names of five people who don't know Christ, and we commit to do five things for them, And which is like ask them how they're doing, really simple, pray for them, 
um, bless them with kindness, share parts of your story of faith and invite them to experience Christian community. And every week when people gather together in their smaller groups, they ask, okay, like, what are you going to do? And for whom are you going to do it for? I mean, for whom are you going to do it? Um, so it just teaches people to develop an eye, think very thoughtfully and intentionally about their relationships. That's kind okay. of how we think about impacting the city. Yeah. So we already talked about discipleship a little bit. And there's a thin, like a blurred line when it comes to discipleship and evangelism, because it's all it's all united around the Great Commission, doing what Jesus has called us to do. But is there anything else, like just in terms of helping your people grow? You mentioned the disruptions. I love that five by five card. I'm gonna steal that and use that in some way at, at some point. Uh, but but what else? Like, is there anything else that you think of that might be helpful for us to get a glimpse into how you guys are helping your people grow in Christ? Yeah, it's good, man. I, I really think, I mean, as a leader, I'm trying to model as best as I can what it means to be needy for Jesus and depend on him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I really think that we tend to want people to imitate our strengths and our competencies, which is, of course, you, you know, got to teach people how to teach and handle God's word and how to minister with certain skills and abilities. Um, but I really think that people need to see... Um, their leaders, not just me, but the rest of the leaders in church gripped by Jesus, yeah. dependent on him, wearing our neediness and our dependence on our sleeve. All of that's formative. You know, I think if you could teach a person to depend on God, to trust in him, wait on him, you know, like I, I, I guess that's one of the things that I hope will just be embedded in the culture of our church. I hope they would hear this and say like, I hope they wouldn't say, I don't know about that. Like I hope it makes sense that like they would have experienced <laughs> that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that would, so I think I think what I hear you saying is just like what is hoped for, like in in theory, is actual and practice type idea. That like if we talk about following Jesus and if we're preaching about it and we're training that way, that you as a leader, that we as leaders are modeling and can at least if, at the very least, our people can look at us and say, hey, they're they're at least living what they're trying to say. Right, exactly. And, you know, the gospel, the gospel gives us the freedom to be able to come with our weaknesses and our brokenness and apprehend God's strength and grace. And they've got to see that in my marriage. They've got to see that in the way that I repent as a father, that I can lead from that appropriately, right? I'm not going to. Sure. But, you know, and and yeah, so to your point, I think that's spot on. They've got to see the word made flesh in that sense. So when you think about you as a leader, as a pastor, um, talking about some of your experiences, whether that's chaplaincy in India, uh, pastoral responsibilities in Houston, or even where you are now, what's uh, what's maybe one of the best leadership lessons you've learned along the way? Yeah, it's good, man. Um, it's similar to what I just shared before. I mean, there are many things because I've made many mistakes, but um, you, that when you when you lead, you lead like a human being. And uh, Zach Eswine wrote a book called Sensing Jesus. It's actually Imperfect Pastor now. I think he, it's republished or something. It's Imperfect Pastor. But when we do ministry, we do so as a human being. And that was really mm-hmm. paradigm shifting for me. Like I don't have to, I don't have to try to be all knowing or everywhere in control. Like I can, like God doesn't expect me to. Yeah. Um, and I think particularly having been in ministry for several years that there's a way to live a life that glorifies God. He's got a statement. I'm trying to remember. It's like when God made Adam and Eve, he said, love me, love one another, know the law. And that was a life that was enough to glorify God. And I guess as it relates to leadership, I want to lead like a human being, not like a rock star. But my temptation 
like daily is to be a rock star, right? Yeah. Is to make a name for myself and to be the center of attention as opposed to just be a human being who's in awe of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think too, when you think of, when I, when I think about what you just said, I, I think about how, you know, talking about Adam and Eve, going back to the but Genesis one, the fall of man, that their biggest problem was that they wanted to be like God in a way that wasn't okay. You know, they were, they're creating the image of God. They're like God in that way, but they're, it's almost like they were trying to be more uh, God themselves than like God. And I think we have the temptation to do that too, as we want to put all the focus on us, all the success is on us, all the failure is on us um, in our, in terms of our leadership. And so I think, yeah, I think really just focusing on the, the, especially as a spiritual leader, as a pastor, as a, a ministry leader, just focusing on what it looks like to allow God to get the glory and trust God, even in the mess of brokenness or failure or not not knowing what to do, uh, but really just trusting and relying on God. I think that's that's huge. Um, so when you think about maybe like uh, as as you developed, as you've gotten to know older men and women in ministry, you've had mentors. Uh, what's maybe a, a good piece of leadership advice that you've been given that's been helpful for your leadership? That's good, man. Um, we so I mean there are several things. One of my mentors has been. Uh, critical in helping me lead from a place of rest mm. in, in relational health, particularly with my wife. Um, I, th- I mean, there are so many times where he's probably, it's because of him. He, I always say he's the best thing that's ever happened to my wife. Um, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, uh, and I think that's been crucial. Like when I'm striving yeah. so much and he could see that there's a lot of angst within me to get a lot done, to do things that probably God hasn't even called me to do, but it's just out of my mm. ambition. Um, he's just been a very sobering voice to bring me back down to earth and um, remind me again of my humanity and my need for, for God. And one particular thing I remember it was like the day before my launch and um, uh, our church's launch, sorry. <laughs> um, and he texted me and said, like, this is a culmination of all of a lot of prayers and a lot of work and effort. Um, but just reminded me once again that we do what we do because we are loved and because mm. we are seen by Jesus yeah. and to be able to lead from that place. So, um, yeah, he's been instrumental in my life for that. Yeah. So if you had a guy coming to you just asking who's maybe in a tough place emotionally, burnt out, what, what are some things that you might suggest to them just in terms of really leading from a restful spot of mm-hmm. really being able to, to lean into the Lord in those ways? What are some ways that have been helpful for you? Yeah, I mean, I I generally feel burned out when I'm trying to convince people of something that I'm that I don't longer believe, mm-hmm. um, and so I would I think ministry is an invitation to to behold whatever it is that you're beholding, and when you don't see it anymore, when you don't experience it anymore, just you get disillusioned, and so I would recommend to that person to um, continue to be jealous for um, your relationship with God and to be gripped by his love for you Mm -hmm. Um, i mean that takes precedence over everything else Um, and and also i think this is maybe more in reaction to what you see today but i think a lot of our leadership paradigms are shaped by secularism 
Um, yeah. So, for example, as we talked before about dependence upon God, I mean, the secular myth is that we're individualistic and uh, we're all independent of one another and one, one independent of God. And our yeah. leadership can somehow fall into that. And so I just, uh, I think what I would encourage him or her is just to be mindful of like how God calls you to be childlike, like your childlikeness and your posture of wonder before him is one of the most important things for your ministry. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, so when you, th- if a different person coming to you right now, right? Mm-hmm. If I was coming to you as a young church planner or pastor, and I just wanted to know, like, hey, what what would you suggest me do if I want to grow as a leader? If I want to be used by God as effectively as I possibly can, yeah. what are some things that you would tell to a young guy like me, just coming to you, asking for advice, how to grow as a leader or as a pastor? Yeah, I mean, I guess along with what I've just said, I think it's important to to know your own story and uh, yeah. know how God has shaped you and wired you. I'd be it'd be important to know your experiences, and that might give you a glimpse into the kind of people that God will call you to. I really yeah. believe that when God calls a person, He calls a person with an experience, with a story, to a people who have a story as well, and how some of those two things align. One of the challenges in moving to New York for seven years, I really didn't understand how my story fit the story of the place. Like Harlem used to be the center of the civil rights movement. I'm not black. I'm India. I'm brown, but I'm not black. And yeah. I just, there was even a point where I told the church where we were, I was interning that I just don't feel like I'm the right person for this place. Um, but my experience having moved around a lot and being an Indian, never feeling at home, no matter where mm-hmm. I've lived, even in India, they saw me as an American. Um, but my, I noticed that God was surrounding me with people who had that experience, mm-hmm. immigrants and people who struggled to belong. And so I would tell that leader the same thing. I'd say, well, if you want to know how God is calling you to, to you know, take a survey of your story and, um, and, and see how it meshes with the story where, of the place where God's calling you. Um, I'll say one more thing too. I think as it sure. comes to like determining God's will and understanding God's will, I generally advise people to see where the common thread is between three things. Um, when you're in prayer, how is God, what are your desires and how are they being refined in prayer? What is godly counsel saying to you? And then as you step back, what do you see in his providence in the circumstances of your life? And I really believe that where there's a common thread between your desires, godly counsel, and the providence of God in your life, you can be confident that he's calling you into that direction. Mm. Well, that's a helpful three things to think about. Because, I mean, that's obviously something we're all we're all wrestling with and we're all trying to figure out at all times. Yeah. So whether that's for us or for people we're trying to minister to, I think that's a helpful framework to think through. Last question, uh, just think through some helpful books or resources that have shaped your leadership. That could be... Uh, in terms of pastoral leadership or just your spiritual life, what are some helpful books or resources that others could benefit from? Great. Um, yeah, there's a imperfect pastor by Zach Estwine, uh, oh. about how to do ministry as a human being, um, a praying life by Paul Miller. Um, there are mm-hmm. a lot of great books. The lot, I mean, every book on prayer is going to be theological, but Paul Miller has a, does just a fantastic job of recovering a childlike heart before God. Mm, um, exposing cynicism. There's uh, Patrick Lynchoni's The Advantage. It's all about organizational leadership. Um, mm. I went through, I and the community we were with, uh, went through the pain of having to close a church because mm. um, of just some 
yeah, there was not a, and it falls on me as a leader too, right? And lack of yeah. organizational health. And I think the last thing is as it relates to culture, Andy Crouch's culture making is a fantastic mm-hmm. book on how to understand culture and how to shape it. Yeah. Well, that's helpful, Jason. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you for all that you shared today. I really just encouraged to, to, to hear about uh, just a, what seems to be a great gospel work going on. And like we've said, just an incredible uh, location for to make an impact for the gospel, not just in the area, but around the world. So Jason, thanks for your time. Thanks for your investment. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Dad, I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Great Commission Leadership Podcast. If this podcast has impacted you, please subscribe, share, and rate so that others can be impacted as well. You can connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at GCLpod. And join us again next week for another episode of the Great Commission Leadership Podcast.